Welcome to the eighth episode of the Poetry Studio Podcast, a podcast for poetry lovers and students where I, your host, Aaron Bauer, read and discuss a poem, learn about the techniques the author used to write it, and finally offer some writing prompts to motivate your own writing journey. Today, we are going to read and discuss Ode on a Grecian Urn which is one of the most well-known poems from John Keats. To say well-known is a bit of a misleading statement, though. Due to Keats' early death at the age of 25, he did not publish many poems, less than 60 in total. Nevertheless, Keats is generally thought of as one of the great Romantic poets, along with his contemporaries, Lord Byron and Percy Shelley. Romantic, in this context, does not directly relate to love. Romanticism places emphasis on emotion and individualism. It developed as an artistic movement during the Age of Enlightenment that swept Europe during the 18th century. Rather than try to look at vast systems and try to make grand statements about the way the world works based on them, romantic writers tended to look at individual things and try to see what they could say about how we should be living our lives. Romantic writers tend to look to nature and to the past as subjects for their work. To help demystify some of the ideas people have about poetry being complicated or hard to understand, I will discuss one poetic device that an author uses in the poem we are reading for each podcast. Today, we are going to discuss one of the most amazing and confusing poetic devices, meter. A poetic meter is an alternating pattern of stressed and unstressed syllables. There are many different types of meter, but today we are going to be focusing on iambic pentameter, which is the standard meter for English poetry. There's a long history of why iambic pentameter became the standard meter in English poetry, which I'm not going to get into here. (laughs) We are going to start with the basics. Last week, he discussed the difference between stressed and unstressed syllables in Going for Water by Robert Frost. So if you haven't heard that discussion, go back and listen to the previous episode before listening here. It'll make more sense. Even outside poetry, iambic pentameter holds power over a listener's ear. If you have read the Declaration of Independence recently, and I highly recommend that you all do, it's a fascinating document. One line that probably stuck out to you is, we hold these truths to be self-evident. The Declaration goes on to list life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as those self-evident truths, but that line, we hold these truths to be self-evident, grabs the reader's attention, and I can guess you know why. It is in iambic pentameter. We can break down the line into five groups of unstressed and then stressed syllables. We hold these truths to be self-evident. As a side note, you might remember that I've said the poetic line of ten syllables is the standard in English poetry. That is because a line of iambic pentameter has ten syllables, five groups of two syllables per line. I'd like to give you a little warning before we get into this poem, though. This poem is a bit longer and maybe a little bit more complex than the ones we've discussed so far on the podcast. Don't worry if you don't get a specific word or phrase. Focus on the sound and the iambic pentameter. Listen to how the phrases flow together to give the impression of an old artifact of pottery from ancient Greece. Now, 
let's hear the poem. Ode on a Grecian Urn Thou still unravished bride of quietness, Thou foster child of silence and slow time, Sylvan historian who canst thus express A flowery tale more sweetly than our rhyme. What leaf-fringed legend haunts about thy shape Of deities or mortals or both, In temp or the dales of Arcady? What men or gods are these? What maidens loth? What mad pursuit, what struggle to escape, what pipes and timbrels, what wild ecstasy. Heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. Therefore, ye soft pipes, play on, not to the sensual ear, but more endeared. Pipe to the spirit ditties of no tone. Fair youth, beneath the trees thou canst not leave thy song, nor ever can those trees be bare. Bold lover, never, never canst thou kiss. Though winning near the goal yet, do not grieve. She cannot fade, though thou hast not thy bliss. Forever wilt thou love, and she be fair. Ah, happy, happy bows, that cannot shed your leaves, nor ever bid the spring adieu. And happy melodist, unwearied, forever piping songs, forever new, more happy love, more happy, happy love, forever warm and still be enjoyed, forever panting and forever young, all breathing human passion far above that leaves a heart high, sorrowful, and cloyed, a burning forehead and a parching tongue. Who are these coming to the sacrifice? To what green altar, O mysterious priest, leads thou that heifer lowing at the skies and all her silken flanks with garlands dressed? What little town by river or seashore or mountain built with peaceful citadel is emptied of this folk, this pious morn. And what little town thy streets forevermore will silent be, and not a soul to tell why thou art desolate can e'er return. O attic shape, fair attitude, with breed of marble men and maidens overwrought, the forest branches and trodden weed thou silence form dost tease us out of thought, as doth eternity, cold pastoral. When old age shall this generation waste, thou shalt remain in midst of other woe than ours. A friend to man to whom thou sayest, beauty is truth, truth, beauty, that is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. Oh, that closing line is one of the most profound and confusing statements I have ever read in a poem. I love how it calls on us to change ourselves, not necessarily how we live, but how we view the world. From this one specific urn that the speaker is looking at, he reaches the conclusion that Beauty is truth, truth, beauty. That is all ye know on earth 
and all you need to know. An ode is a genre of poetry that seeks to praise something. Often, the most compelling odes are about something that doesn't seem to be worthy of appreciation. Even in the last stanza, before we get those magnificent closing lines, the speaker of the poem seems to be criticizing the urn as cold and distant when he says, Thou silent form dost tease us out of thought, as doth eternity, cold pastoral. Pastoral in this sentence is talking about an idealized vision of rural life, which was a common subject in Greek art and writing. Traditionally, a pastoral is about sheep and a shepherd, which, as a side note, is the root of why we call some religious leaders pastors. They are herding the sheep of the church. There is a huge gap between the speaker of the poem and the subject of the art painted on the urn, but there is power and meaning in that gap. It is up to us to imagine how we will use the information passed down to us. On the Poetry Studio podcast, it isn't enough to enjoy and discuss a poem. We need to be inspired by it to create our own work. Here are some exercises inspired by Ode on a Grecian Urn that you can work on. First, find a cup of any type and write an ode to it. Remember, an ode is a poem that praises its subject. Odes can be f so fun to write because you need to find something worthy of praising, even in commonplace subjects. A really interesting take on this is Styrofoam Cup by Brenda Hillman, which is a poem written in direct response to Keats' ode that we discussed here. Second, write an ode about something typically people look down on a pothole, a toilet, a mosquito. Find something about your subject that is worthy to be praised. And finally, find a piece of old art. You could look online or go to a museum to find it, then write a poem in response to what you see in that art. How are you seeing it in a different way than its makers did? What is unique about your individual perspective on this subject? While I was coming up with these prompts, I was inspired to write a short ode of my own. This one is about a toilet. Ode to a toilet. You take and take the waste I make. <laughs> Not quite up to Keats standards, I'm the first to admit, but I like it. If you or your child completes one of these writing prompts and would like for your writing to be featured on the podcast, feel free to email the text uh, or a recording of you reading the poem, and I will share it here. You can email the poem or recording of it to poetrystudiopodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. While I can't guarantee that everyone who sends something in will be featured, I love sharing poetry and will share as much as I can. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out at the same email, poetrystudiopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Poetry Studio Podcast. If you liked it, please give me a five-star review on iTunes and share it with your friends. If you can, please become a member of the Poetry Studio Podcast by donating to my Patreon. Details can be found online at patreon.com slash poetrystudio. New episodes come out each week on Wednesday with special episodes and 
materials available to members. This month, the bonus episode explores The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. It is a really fun poem to read and discuss, so don't miss it. Also, written transcripts of episodes are also available to members. That is all the time we have for today. Music and audio effects included in this podcast are either performed by me or are in public domain. Ode on a Grecian Urn was written by John Keats and is in the public domain. Happy writing and see you next week.